off the ball. Andy Farrell was almost giddy. Yeah. At yeah. the late with He wants everything thrown yeah. at them as was, much as possible. He was like, this is per- I couldn't have planned this yes. better. This could happen Maybe he did. Up. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. You're very welcome back. Now, uh, I've been looking forward to this piece for a while because it's a great day for the parish. It's uh, officially the first book that's been written by a full-time member of the OTB staff. So congratulations to Arthur James O'Dea. All right, I didn't realise that. You gave birth. Yeah. And this was this is your beautiful baby. It's a biography in nine lives, Limerick. And um, yeah, so you got the book out. Well done. Thanks. Yeah, what was that nice. like? Nice, easy experience to barely took uh, anything out of you. Oh, doing it or when it's coming out? Both, yeah. In hindsight, it doesn't seem that bad. You know, that kind of way. And you're like, but it's funny. They call it oxytocin, I think. <laughs> okay, it's like, well, my, because um, my, I'm talking to my partner, Eric, about this as well. She's like, no, it was bad. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. you're not remembering that as it was, but straight away when you're almost finished, you're like, what could you do next? Yeah, what's up next? So you don't, yeah. So well, now you got to tell everybody how great this book is. Malky Clerkin said it was the GA book of the year so far. I haven't read all the rest of the GA books. Malky probably has, but um, I, it's brilliant. It's definitely like anybody who has any interest in sports should get it. Anybody who's interested in the evolution of a great team or um, a kind of potted history of. Limerick life all the way back to the Mick Mackey era. I can't recommend it enough, and obviously I'm biased, but um, take that as it will, as you will. Um, so, uh, the first thing that strikes me is that it's an intensely personal book, even though it's a book about Limerick hurling. And you're a Sligo man, as yeah. far as we were all concerned, really. So, what's that? What's that all about? Well, I mean, yeah, it can be many things, I suppose. I'm a Sligo man as far as I'm from Sligo. But my father has kind of laid out and centralish role he plays is obviously from Limerick. And I mean, Limerick, Ireland, for as long as I remember, has been central to our lives, our relationship, activities we do together, kind of centre around that, talking points. Every, it all kind of eventually comes back to that and everything's seen through that prism. Um, so that's, yeah, so far as we're from and I mean he's lived in Sligo a lot longer than he lived in Limerick um, I mean but he's still from Limerick and of Limerick and that ends up getting passed along because I I, I suppose there's a difference and if you're specifically looking at GEA there's a difference between Sligo football and Limerick hurling you know I mean even for quite a long time success not necessarily in terms of success but Limerick just by virtue of where they are and the structure of the hurling world are far more central and pivotal to it and it's always just, there's always been such an allure to it. Because as well, also to the point that there's such, in that weird way, that it's such a, you don't want to over-egg it, but it's a tragic history, but like a, a history of heartache. And there's something in that to latch on to. Yeah, they were the Mayo of, of hurling, really. Like they were the closest thing to it. Yeah, like, in, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's the 70s. In, yeah, in, in a certain regard, yeah, for sure. I mean, it is that surrounded almost by teams and constantly bumping into teams who achieve a lot more than you. And it's... I think that, And who don't really seem all that better than you, if better than you at all? No, and there's no there's no reason for it either. It's not like it's not a... There's obviously, there are reasons, but there's no obvious reason. It's not like the same reason why Sligo, for instance, aren't getting upset about the success of Galway at an All-Ireland level or whatever, because it's it's not comparable. Yeah. So it's kind of, there's a, you understand it in that way, but with Limerick, it's like, but there's no reason Limerick can't be as good as Tipperary or as Cork or as, you know, even Clare. 
it's like it, it's that kind of thing. It's like this doesn't make any sense. So it, it's kind of almost it's it's man made <laughs> destruction. Now we're obviously having this conversation uh, in the middle of, or certainly um, at the peak of, or close to the peak of. Uh, Limerick ascending to the throne and now rivaling the great Kilkenny team to be considered the greatest team of all time. Um, so the the book is kind of an explainer of how we got there in some parts, but it's also laying out the difference between now and what the last 70 odd years have been like, really, since yeah. Mick Mackey bestrode the game like a colossus. I mean, yeah, but I, I think firmly in my mind, like... You think of those conversations that you have, and you, you, you're talking about hurling. It, it's kind of the last few years have enabled that. So the last few years, I think, make it a lot easier to talk about what's come before. The so pain, it's almost, yeah. Like I, and I, I, I'm, I'm cautious of kind of overdoing it because it's kind of difficult in one way, certainly from my perspective, to think about the pain or that when you never knew beforehand what success was like anyway. And you, so it's kind of maybe I, I imagine actually now that if Limerick were say to go to next year's final and lose it, it would arguably be a bit more disappointing than it was in two thousand and seven losing to Kilkenny. It's an odd way. It's like I, I appreciate that there is a difference because you are like God, this would be great if this was over. But it's almost what makes sense and what you are familiar with and what you know. And now you know what winning's like and you know what it like. I suppose to look at it, what it takes, and for that not to happen would be quite disheartening. But ultimately, I think winning helps you then process what came before. Well, it it, it it's um, explained somehow, or I, maybe it's not explained. It's rationalised that like okay, uh, or uh, yeah, I, I'm struggling to put that in context. But I think certainly what comes across what what the book ends up being is this kind of um, uh, like long journey to this point of of. Uh, greatness, and I actually do think they're all connected in a way that, like, I, I'm not sure it was your intention. We were just talking about this off air, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. But it does seem to me as if, like, being great sporadically has given everybody in Limerick this taste of what it could be. That sense that they had of like being very close to the top table. Why shouldn't it be us? Actually, provoked some very strong-minded, strong-willed people into getting together to achieve greatness. But you can't do that in a county that hasn't at some point had a Mick Mackey or the team from the 70s or the devastation of defeat to Offaly in the Ireland final. Because it would be ludicrous if people set up the Limerick Academy going, we're going to win all Ireland in any other county that didn't have that. You can't do that, I don't think, in in uh, counties that have been starved of success like the Antrim Hurlers, for example, or the Kildare Footballers. You, they're coming from a different base. It's less realistic for them to aspire to those things. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's certain, there's certain. I suppose there's certain issues you can't overcome, however well planned you are. Like you, you can't. If you bring everything back to Sligo, like the playing base is so low. Like say for Sligo's hurlers, who've made enormous strides the last few years and did incredible work, and it was a similar sort of thing where it was just a few strong-willed individuals who kind of drove things, and then eventually people started following in the wake. But ultimately, there's only you know a handful of senior clubs in Sligo Hurling so it's not you're never going to get there I appreciate that but I don't think at the same time in Limerick that the intention in a weird way like certainly from talking to Shane Fitzgibbon who features in the book and who was instrumental in putting into place what would become the academy and kick on I mean they stress that wasn't what it was about it really wasn't about winning an All-Ireland it wasn't about that it was kind of about I suppose 
not like in a sense because you're putting yourself in a place where you can do it. Yeah, right? but I, I, it's not an end goal in and of itself. No, because and I, I already spoke earlier on the show about that moment um, where they get all of the coaches of all of the representative teams from the lowest age to the senior team and John Allen is in the room and the question is asked who has winning the championship as their goal and almost everybody yeah. puts their hands up like the, I think the whole point of um, of uh, Fitzgibbon's thing is that like put the processes in place yeah, and then we'll see what the results are but we need to get the processes right and once we do that everything is going to follow and you know I mean I'm sure they didn't explicitly say we're all going to win All-Ireland at the end of this or we'll have a three in a row team or a four in a row team or a seven in a row who knows yeah. they were like well let's get more let's get more quality inter-county hurlers to be available for selection and that takes like the, the fascinating thing but it takes such a significant amount of humility because none of those people I mean we, I know the money from doing the research for this but beyond the county say in terms of a national thing well we know the players we know a lot of the key individuals in the background Almost nobody knows who those people were that started that off. And none of them really have any desire to be known. And it is that same sort of thing, you know. Those kind of people who are there for personal sort of gain tend to get edged out because it's not really what it's... So it's it's a remarkable level of humility to go in and do that because you are... I mean, you're genuinely just working for the greater good. Explain explain what that is, to, to go in and do that. So uh, Shane Fitzgibbon emerges as a hero of the book, kind of a you know, reluctant hero. In, in Extremely reluctant. Yeah, in <laughs> yeah. many respects. Um, so him and a bunch of other people uh, are inspired to get together and, and um, write the Raising the Treaty. Is that what it's called? It's a li- lifting, lifting, the, the lifting the Treaty, yeah. yeah. So what is that? Well, it, like it's essentially, it's so he stopped in 93. He hurled for Limerick and... I think he started in the 80s, stopped in 93, just before to get to the final in 94. And he kind of just had enough between work and commitment and everything else. It just wasn't worth it. And there were a barren few years, like, particularly. And I'm pretty sure, I think, forgive me if I get this wrong, I'm pretty sure he's from Adair. And they set up a kind of, essentially a mini academy there. On Sunday mornings. Yeah, and, and kind of did those kind of basics and just got everyone So he went back to the club. Exactly. Grassroots. And what happened there was in essence the same thing then that was rolled out countywide. Now you kind of have to remember at the same time like while at that time so that's the late mid to late 2000s Limerick Hurling they've been at the final in 2007 but I think like Limerick won like it might be one or two Munster Championship matches across the whole 2000s. So this was a pretty low ebb that they were coming in at and I'm pretty sure they kind of benefited from the fact that it was like well, whatever we're, whatever is being done is not working and it's a very factional it's spread out and and all I suppose they came in with a clean slate and kind of brought the, this idea that you just you bring it all together and you have a, a centre point you have a focal point you have an overall aim that is everything kind of falls under Limerick not too dissimilar from what happens or what I suppose would have happened with Irish rugby in a similar sort of thing that it is like a top down almost programme where Obviously, all the work that's getting done at the clubs is the essential fun- foundational work, but there's a bigger picture in mind the whole time. And that's kind of what he spearheaded, like the ins and outs of what are, I mean, it, it, in terms of just, I suppose, bringing people in, like different younger academy teams and setups where it's like players are brought in from a young age into a higher level of training. And I mean, from a practical, cultural level, what was so vital to them was just kind of um, creating a pride in what they were doing where it was kind of like 
and I think everyone who would know who would have played like or kind of knows people who get who get into underage county teams when they're growing up like there was a there was that kind of feeling like it's great to get in and get the gear and that's kind of it because that's what you want and then you want to be able to walk around with your Limerick tracksuit and whatever else and that was that's kind of cool in and of itself and they kind of undercut that and kind of went that's not really what it's about and if you're not going to if you're going to be here for that that's not what you're not going to be here and it's, it's kind of just instilling some sort of feeling that there's something to be achieved here that it's it's something to be proud of in and of itself and and that obviously just led on like it just it keeps going but it, it, it was down to just you could say almost stubborn determined individuals who just because it, it's it's strange because it, there's no there was absolutely no guarantee it would have happened this is just people who kind of took it upon themselves to go and make something happen I think there's a few interesting bits along the way he he I don't know if, if it's only him but certainly him and his like-minded people they rally the troops of former legends from across the generations. There's one point yeah, yeah. you list off a load of names and I just can't find it now. But it's like literally people from the team in the 70s, the team in the 90s, the team in the noughties. And they're all like, yeah, we, we want in. We're going to help. While at the same time, they get the four divisional boards yeah. to agree to a shared plan, which like in any anybody with any rudimentary understanding of the GA understands that one committee is gung-ho against another committee for yeah. fear that somebody on one committee might get um, two rungs ahead of them in the great race to become the grand poobah down, down the road. And like for a few individuals to be able to say, come together in a county that has been you know difficult uh, and certainly has its, its track record of strikes and fallouts and all that kind of yeah. stuff, um, to get them all to come together and say, we've got a vision, this is the vision, let's go for it. And then for them to do it, that's fairly remarkable. Yeah, and I, I mean, there'd be a whole other book in that. <laughs> I don't think the people involved would tell you enough that you want to know because it is kind of now one of those things that's almost just become sort of myth and kind of like but it just seems that for that brief moment they came with a plan that made sense and people listened and it was just kind of that's the way it kind of worked and it took off There are a couple of other aspects to it too they had access to the University of Limerick and within UL there's like a really high functioning sports department where people are ambitious and it has like the physical training it has the academic side of the coaching and psychology and, and group dynamics and it has the facilities Yeah, and that's all like all in one place on their doorstep that's fairly important it is it's, I suppose an important part of that though is that it's not necessarily on everyone's doorstep and that was a kind of that's a potential stumbling block for that because all of a sudden if you are and a really kind of talented 12, 13 year old who's coming in to an underage Limerick set up where there might be, I don't like, it'll be dozens of people there, say, for one of these sessions at the weekend or whatever. Depending on where you're traveling from, to get back into UL near the city is like, that's, that might not be the easiest thing to do for nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. And it is in that regard, like, that's, I think what's interesting with Shane, his outlook particularly, is that he almost. He behaved as a he didn't create this. He, he facilitated it, but something that almost started off from his perspective has kind of now, you could say, gone to a level that he himself is not necessarily comfortable with, where but it is almost, uh, it's, it's almost a professional thing. And I distinctly recall talking to Paul Brown, who was, uh, he got injured in 2008, but, not 2008, sorry, 2018, but was part of that All-Ireland winning team. And he's now involved with that as a developmental officer, I'm not sure his exact title, but he was telling me before how essentially now the players were getting, the inter-county players were getting that sort of 
preparation and treatment and everything else that like when they go back to their clubs it's like you, you can't just throw these guys back in with guys who are just amateur in the truer sense of the word like there's such physical differences there now such the capabilities of these players are so different that you you know without over-egging it again like there's an element of danger there if you get hit by someone who is that size and that you know who's working to that level it, it, again it could be a wrong thing it's not like it's an endemic type of issue but it does kind of stress that there's such a gulf now and that is starting probably younger and younger which in his eyes is not <laughs> really what he wanted. Yeah, you, you don't make any allowance for the late bloomers or the, the late comers to the sport. Um, if and, and even you could argue for a lot of people, like a lot, a lot of kids go through these things. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a 30-odd man panel at senior level. I mean, if you look at this Limerick team over the last number of years, like granted people have come and gone off the extended panel and stuff. But, but not many. First, starting 15 is pretty much close to the starting 15, like four yeah. years down the line. Now that's obviously a first world problem that um, uh, many of the I know, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's more, it's not like, I'm not, because they're all time greats. They're yeah. not going to be pulling it down, but like it's, it's, um, it's an interesting side effect that I suppose you don't think about when your main concern, as in my thing, is from the top down, when you're looking at it at the top down. Uh, it has been incredibly successful. I found that very interesting because I, I think the Dubs did something fairly similar and um, it'll be interesting. Like, obviously, the, the GAA is, is copycat. Everybody wants to know what was going on. Yeah. You know, there's, there's details in there that I'm sure will be parsed over by various county boards and um, managers and uh, development officers and all that kind of stuff too. So uh, let's let's go right back to, to the beginning, right? Because um, I, I do think that the, the legacy of Limerick Hurling is hugely important and giving them that whole sense of pride today when or seven, nine, ten years ago when they started this whole thing it was like no, you, you can dream because we've done it before and, and obviously Mick Mackey is at the start of that how do you write about Mick Mackey at this, at this remove how do you go about finding something that's slightly different from uh, Common or Garden Mick Mackey's role in all this well like yeah, I always kind of felt from the get go that when you're picking nine lives it would kind of be it would look slightly odd for the sake of oddness not to have him as one of the nine but by the same token I kind of felt it'd be a touch facetious to talk about him as a hurler as such because obviously there's no there's no footage of any real use you'd be relying pretty much ex- you'd be relying exclusively on second third hand accounts of what you're talking about so you would in a sense just be regurgitating that and I suppose particularly from obviously from my life my perspective um Mackey's just a he's a he's an historical figure an iconic figure a, a, a sort of a, a godlike remove from everything else and he's the man who the stand is named after he's the man you know you look into has a roundabout named after he's the man who has a statue he's the man who was they sang songs about and wrote poems about that kind of that folkloric figure and my interest then was to kind of explore that because that's ultimately what no, nobody, none of this Limerick team, none of the management like saw Mick Maggie play. Like, you know, like the, what, it, it's just not something you can countenance, but it lives on through, I suppose, word of mouth and through what we, what has been created in his, created of that legacy. So my interest in that was like, you have the statue of him that's down in Limerick, which was done by Seamus Connolly, who did also create a Paddy O'Shea's statue and a few others I can't remember off the top of my head but like I was fascinated by this I was fascinated by right who's this guy because like it's not as somebody was explaining like there's really not even a lot of images of Mick Mackey to work off it's like you know he's playing in the 30s and early 40s 
there's not that much to work off. So who is this guy who went and created him and cast him in bronze for this thing? And talking to him, talking to Anne Queen, who was a sort of a renowned Chano singer, lives down now in Waterford, but actually, incredibly, because I didn't know this when I was getting in touch with her, grew up, her house was the back, her house kind of, the back garden of her house backed onto, I think, the back garden of Mackie's parents' house in Limerick. And I think the Mackies owned the house she was living in. So she's literally his neighbour and literally knew him growing up because he'd come home, obviously she'd see him. And she was a fantastic singer and it was funny. She released an album, I think, in 1982. That was, oh, whatever All-Ireland it was for Kerry. Kerry's fifth. That was the one they didn't win. Well, so maybe was the one before the 25th did one or something, whatever it was. It's in between the fourth and fifth in the book anyway. So they had thing. They had whatever Kerry's thing. But one of the songs she recorded on there was Mick Mackey and His Men. And I find that if you're approaching it through that and talking to these people, I suppose, about how they've approached Mackey and trying to almost, they're... They're not myth makers, but they're they're solidifying it and they're giving it life and breathing life into it. And to talk to those people to try and get an understanding, I suppose, of how they do just him. And, yeah, and, and it's like it's almost like some of the I, I I one of the best one of the best books I ever read was I'm almost certain it was called Walt Whitman's America, and it was I think by a guy David S Reynolds. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure Walt Whitman's America. And while it was in a certain sense a traditional kind of biography, it also explored him through all the different sorts of, I suppose, as his fame as a poet and everything grew through the different paraphernalia that comes up and through the different avenues and the, what he touches that then springs off into other things. And there's been good books. There's another good book um, about Bob Dylan. Uh, Sean, something was the guy's name, who wrote a similar book, Bob Dylan's America. I, I don't know was it off the similar idea, but that type of thing exploring these kind of mythic larger than life figures through I suppose what gets created by virtue of their what makes them so extraordinary and that's that for me was extremely it was just extremely interesting and uh, like again without sort of spoiling the things in there I I remember I was reading I don't know where I was reading it I feel like it was a reprint of Mackey's obituary and he died in the 80s I'm, I'm not sure exactly what year but at the, I'm pretty sure the song that was played either during the funeral or when his coffin was lowered was "Near My God to Thee." That's the I'm pretty sure. Which obviously then brings straight into mind for me, Titanic, because in the film in '97, you're kind of that's the James Cameron film. I don't, I, I think it's debated whether it happened in real life, but in the film, that's what they play as the ship's going down, the band, whatever else, whatever he says, that's the song they play. And there, I mean, there's certain, there's, you know, you're overflowing with things like that. You're like Titan, Titanic, Mick Mackey, and it's like it was just it, all this kind of thing. It, you, you see all these things, but obviously no link there. But it, it's an interesting kind of thing of how you approach these people because they are. There's no point in trying my trying to give a human portrayal of Mick Mackey. I don't know him. You never, you know. But it's just, it was an interesting way to go about it because that's, I think, where, for most of us, he lives, he lives and he exists. It's in that. It's in those things that he is remembered through. And, you know, that's, uh, that, that to me is kind of fascinating because we, we do that. We create that. And it's very, I suppose, from his time, it's not unique, but from his time, he was already myth and icon and legend. So, sorry, that, that's a key point to, to point out here when he was 28, 29 people were writing these songs about him yeah and like I suppose it's a different time so they didn't have I mean you, you, 
There was no TV. There's so no TV. Somebody had no, to you know, sing a song you, about you. you, so. you want, yeah, you want to get these things down. But it, it's kind of... Still, what does that do to a person? What does that do? And then you finish and you can't hurl anymore and you spend your life then. And that's something that Eamon Cregan, again, who was central to it, kind of talked to it, that he, again, whether it's apocryphal or true, but he had that thing that he heard that Mackie had said, essentially, when they won the All-Ireland 73, God, that's a weight off my shoulders. Like, And that was a 33-year weight. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's that, it's that sort of thing. But like, what, what that, that, imagine... I don't know, say, if Christy Ring, to take, I suppose, a slightly later contemporary of Mackey's, if he has to put up with that to the same degree. Well, he doesn't, because obviously Cork, the next team comes yeah. along and he's kind of like, oh, you're part of that same, the lineal Cork hero. Because that great team in the 70s comes, you know. And well, Jimmy Barry Murphy is a natural successor in, yeah. in, in many ways. Um, you know, and we're not talking about quality, but just the the public imagination. Um, Cregan is a really interesting character. Um, uh <laughs> Not watching the games. Yeah. Like, and also, what does he really feel about, like, breaking the hearts of his county men? When he can't watch the games now. No. What does he really feel about breaking the hearts of the county men in five minutes of madness? Like, look, who knows? I, I don't think he feels good about it. I don't think it's... And it should be pointed out, he's one of the people. I'm pretty sure he might have been the first person that Shane Fitzgibbon was on the phone to when he was getting things going. So he was, I mean, that's, Eamon Cregan touches every aspect of Limerick hurling imaginable. His dad played with Mick Mack. Yeah, won an All-Ireland with him, I think, in 33 or something, 30, 33, 34, that type of time. Um, what does he feel? I mean, he tra- he managed, obviously, a lot of those players because he managed Limerick prior to going to Offaly. He'd worked with a lot of them. He knew a lot of them, obviously. He probably knew them all to some degree. And, um, I I mean, to his, in his opinion, he expressly took the awfully job because he didn't think it was likely that they'd meet Limerick. I mean... He, he needed the um, same clause that the... Um, oh, Jeremy Trump thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, look, if we're coming up against Limerick, we're going to step away. It's, it's, um, not, it's never going to happen. Don't worry about it, but... I, he, look, he's an extremely interesting captivating complex individual because he's and as you're saying he, he he doesn't watch the matches now I'm not sure if he applies that to everything but I, he's not watched any of the All-Ireland finals just the Limerick games we have to it's the it's oh the, sorry you, know, you can't yeah. you just can't you can't it's, I presume he's consuming every other moment of, of available hurling but uh, uh, yeah absolutely but I just um, he can't and I I don't Thing you point out for nerves, that's like it's oh, a, for a, it's yeah, absolute pure anxiety, yeah. pure anxiety. Go and watch the car or the wife's car or find a yeah. western, anything else. And it's it, I, in some respects, it's 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 unfortunate and it's a sad thing because you can't, like, even now, like, why you like it's it's but I it, it's it's so much bloody heartache though, it's so often. Beaten, 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 beaten. Little, and he's an you know he's an All Ireland winner and a, a star of that team and a star before then. But it's just the constant getting run down, run down. But I, 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 I don't think it's that rare a feeling. Now, I, I distinctly recall after having that conversation with Eamon, um, calling my father 
and almost saying, "Would you believe this? Like this is crazy." And he's like, "Oh yeah, no, I, I, I kind of get that." No, and my father, my father's not Eamon Gregan. You know what I mean? It's not. He doesn't have the same skin in the game to his degree. Should have dad that you and your dad don't speak after you lose, though. You're like, "Oh, we're comfortable now because there's nothing to say." Well, I mean, we don't. We don't. We Those long trips from wherever you are in the country all the way back to Sligo. You're yeah, like, silence the whole way. But it's a, it's an, it's it's a, it's a mutual shared silence. It's know, not. It's, there's still, no it's antipathy to it. There's no anger there. It's that's not. Just, that's just a spectrum of like not being able to watch the game, not being able to talk about it afterwards. They're they're very closely related. You might not be able to see this, but I was yeah. really like, going, oh yeah, they're all. There's there's a lot of these people in this. But it's supposed to hurt. I, I know. Think. I know. That's why it matters. It, it, you know, and yeah, it does exactly. That's why the good, the highs are so high because it is absolute. It's agony. Now I don't know why he can't at this stage kind of. It's like enough's been done. Well, I think uh, you'd, you'd assume now that, like, you well, think the trouble is that they'll be going for all time greatness. And like, can't watch that. <laughs> I can't watch that. I'll leave it. And it's just look, it's, is it so next year's four in a row, right? Four in a row. Yeah, yeah. so we can watch that because that's only equal in Kilkenny. It's the five in a row one that he yeah. won't be able to watch. It's remarkable. But look, I know from talking to him that the most, I suppose, important thing is that he does get enormous joy out of it. So it's not, I mean, he's not closed off, but it's, it's an, it's, incomparable joy in the same way that you know I suppose it's something to talk about again and it's something positive and it's something you know you go out and you meet people and obviously he probably have a lot of different friends of similar ages who would have played for different counties and you know that sort of jibes and everything like that and you know when you get to be on the right side of that eventually it's quite it must be quite nice and you know he loves what's happening but for the time being the actual cut and thrust of it happening he's not going to get involved in um, he is a really interesting character because you've gone back and found like match reports from when he was a, a kid winning matches in schools matches which I suspect are the 60s right it must be the yeah, 60s yeah, yeah I, th- I think he came into the the one in 73 I think he was yeah so he, he was a he came in about the mid he came into the Limerick panel I think the mid to late 60s I think so yeah I mean he, and he would have been young because he plays up till about 80 so um yeah, he would have been out of school, I suppose, mid to sixties. Manages Limerick, manages uh, Offaly, uh, goes on the Sunday game, gets attacked on the Sunday game by Gerlock Nan from a point of victory in the their the team hotel, which I had for, completely forgotten about. But Dennis Walsh was writing about it um, in September. Uh, we're after listening to ten minutes of a whinge there from Cregan. Says says Loch Nan the night he's won the All Ireland for yeah. the Sunday game. He's already pissed off. <laughs> yeah, like, just won the All Ireland. It's like right. Um, so speaking of the Sunday game, Shane Dowling ends up uh, being the cover star for the book, uh, which I, you know must be difficult to decide which of, of these people are how you're going to fit them in. But um, like Dowling is kind of this funny link to the the battle days, not yeah. not necessarily the battle days, but things weren't great. Like yeah. um, I I'd completely forgotten or maybe didn't even know. There's an amazing post-match interview he gives after he gets back in the team. Like, yeah. is he 20? Is he 21 at that stage? And he's got this incredible, like... Uh, now, this is, there seems to be some kind of weird antipathy towards him because he's, I don't know, has he missed a free or been dropped or played a bad game or something? And somebody shows him a message, which is, like, from yeah. a message board. It's not a very kind thing to do, I, I think. <laughs> but, like, it obviously riled him up to the point where he then goes on, puts in a man-of-the-match performance. and But, like, you know, obviously at that stage, the the pundit in him is coming out the ability to speak his mind as a kid who has had this mad responsibility thrust upon him and still delivered on the biggest stage like he's kind of a forgotten man a little bit in the team at the moment because it's a team full of superstars but they don't get there without the Shane Dowlings of the world No and it's funny at that moment I was only talking to Nathan 
about that not too long ago, Nathan Murphy, and he was there. He was there at that time when that thing, and I think he sort of, I mean, whatever degree of um, hindsight, he was like, oh, he'll be good. He'll be, <laughs> he'll be good when he finishes. <laughs> because it was, it was that type of thing. Yeah, anyway, that's that, but that, that's typical of everything that came before. That sort of backbiting and in-house fighting and someone in Limerick said this about you, you know, and whatever else about it. I don't, again, the, the, I don't know how, what the, the truth is there, but sorry, something was said. Um, I I don't think Shane Dowling, um, I, I don't think you could describe him as anything like forgotten. I, and I appreciate what you're saying. I know what you're saying, like the team has gone on uh, to strength and strength in his absence. But I I. I'd say if you ask people outside Limerick, you know, who are the key people in this Limerick team, they'd list off five or six lads yeah, easily before they get to him and that would be wrong. That you know, I'm sure in Limerick no one's forgotten and actually the fact that he's on telly as a member of the team is, is definitely going to help make sure that that legacy isn't there. So maybe I, well, I misspoke but that, that's the kind of context of what I was thinking. Yeah, look, it's 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 tough insofar as I'm... So yeah, like for anyone I suppose who doesn't know what happened, like so he damages, I think in the end it's both knees kind of get with ACL or uh, cruciate and, and that's him gone. In all essence, the last game he plays for Limerick is the 2019 semi-final against Kilkenny where, again, he does the same thing coming off the bench and nearly salvages it. But it's funny, like, we're talking about Mick Mackey and so my my grandfather, my father's father was born in 1919. No, 1914, sorry. 1914 or 1912. So it, his formative years watching Limerick are watching Mackey now I mean without too hyperbolic from my viewing point Shane Downing's about could be two three years younger than me but that's what he was to me watching he was he's he was unbelievable and it's that straddling of exactly why I feel he does he won't ever there'll be no sort of he'll be incapable of being overlooked is because he straddles both. He is every Limerick fan watching. Now, again, another generation will come that are like, I have a lot of um, cousins' children who are now kind of, this is their first experience. You know, they're, they're, like, they're like seven or eight and they've been to three All-Ireland finals or whatever. And that's, you know, that's a different world altogether and who knows what they'll think. But he was the perfect embodiment of both. So he comes in, whatever else, and he's another one of these highly touted youngsters who's coming in and he hits the ground running. And and, and what you're talking about there, I suppose, with the interview, he doesn't, I think it's I think it's John Allen who, who drops him in about 13 and he ends up coming back in 14 and then he's kind of ever present until until 2018 when again, he gets dropped by John Kiley. For, I mean, whatever, for whatever betterment, but he's just, he makes his impacts off the bench and he's crucial, but... I mean, we'll, we'll never know because we're not in there and maybe I suppose when the biograph- autobiographies and memoirs and stuff come out there'll be a greater light on this but I can't help but suspect that he's the just by speaking to him and, and by the way people speak about him that he's a driving force in a similar sense to the way Key Lynch is but in a different way that he is just a, a, a figure in the middle of all this who drives everything around him and he does just have that he, he's that it's that odd thing where he's not that much older than the players around him but is already from almost a different generation because he's kind of come in just those few years before gets the tail end of that kind of coming in just after the strike and Limerick's you know they, they, they have a, 
a strong team. They get to an All-Ireland semi-final twice in a row. Hammered out the door one day and then get in within, you know, two points of Kilkenny to get to the final in 14. And then it's kind of into the abyss. And that should have been what, that's always what happened. Because if you go back and the Limerick always get to about one or two finals a decade. And there, you for all intents and purposes, there were those two. And we didn't get to the final, you know what I mean? That was their two chances. And if Limerick fall off into the abyss in 15 and 16, you think, well, that's it. That's another thing happening. And Shane Dowling, you know, in a normal career is plugging away for another seven, eight, nine years. And, you know, whatever about it. But that's, it's not what happens. And I feel that, I feel that you, like, so maybe if he's not there and maybe those players come through anyway and Lynch and Hegarty and Galan and all these guys come through but I just feel he's the kind of tether between both. He knows what both worlds are like and he keeps it, he, he, I just can't help but think he keeps the whole thing honest. And he is just, he's, he's a realist, he's an extremely kind of down to earth, straight talking individual. And he's not happy with the role he has to play. You know, this is a guy who by 20, so he's retired by 26, I'd say, maybe 26, 27, he actually retires. But he's playing his last game, he's only about 25. He's still Limerick's top scorer in the championship. Like this guy, he's a phenomenon in history, in history, ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, whatever about it, they have more games and stuff, but like this guy, he's a phenomenon, and he's benched. <laughs> it's kind of like he can't. He's not getting off the bench because I mean, whatever about that, the way they want to play, it doesn't work. But what he like, it's a hard thing to contextualize. But what he did in the semi-finals and finals of twenty eighteen. Are, and particularly the semi-final is such a phenomenal act off the bench that's that's it's still there with Quaid's save it's the turning point the whole thing turns on that and that's that takes a very special individual to do that can you explain why this makes you emotional no <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but it does it gets me every time Especially that game, because that was that's just that's that's where everything changed. If they'd won or lost in twenty eighteen final, it no. If they'd lost in the manner which it looked like they could have lost, that would have been an absolute disaster. But if they had gone out toe to toe with Galway and Galway had won, I don't think that would have been the end anyway. I think they'd have come back. The same thing happened essentially the next year. And now look at them. They're not you know they've barely lost a, a championship game of meaning since. I just so they were, they were nine points up and there was a precipitous collapse. Is that what happened in that game? That game we were talking. No, I'm talking about the semi-final. Semi-final against Cork. In Cork, they were six points down with about ten minutes to go. Right, he comes off the bench. He comes off the bench in about the fifty, somewhere in the fifty, late fifties. And that completely changes the game. Game goes to extra time. In the middle of that, there's Nicky Quaid's ridiculous save. That well, that's that's. I mean, that's the best part when you're watching it back. I watched back those last fifteen minutes and then into extra time so many times. It's phenomenal, and. It's like, I like I mean, so this, many. This times. is what Eric is saying. This is very difficult. I mean, it's like I, I'm pretty sure. Time number four hundred and forty-two. It's Darren Maloney and Michael Dignan on RTE, and it's it's astounding. So Limerick work back, and it's not there's no goals. They work back from some. There might be some give or take, but it's essentially they get six unanswered points, and Dowling contributes a few. Galan gets a free at the end, and literally the point that equalises. And we're, we're talking about the 68, 69 minute here. The point that equalises. Galan gets the point, and Nash launches it out so up into the top kind of left half corner forward and, and I'm not sure whatever way whoever it was but the ball comes across be it Harnedy or whatever else and it's that moment that he literally his hurl is still going backward so it's not even coming back towards the ball and Quaid's got in and then 
that's I'm not sure whether more score. I think there might have been. I think Limerick might have scored again, and I, I'm pretty sure um, Horgan equalised for Cork, and we go to extra time, and then Dowling comes alive, and there's that amazing kind of thing. Easily the most enjoyable thing was um, oh, it's just it kills me when Dowling's running down towards the goal, and he gets pulled down, gets the penalty, and it was Paul Brown who told me so. Paul Brown was injured, so he'd done. I'm pretty sure he'd done his cruciate, and he was out for the year, but he was there. At the semi-final, kind of, they'd kind of wrangled him in onto the bench as a whatever, as a water carrier or something. And he was out on the pitch as Dowling was about to take his penalty, talking. I'm pretty sure to Declan Hannan. So that's you kind of have sort of wherever Hannan would have been around the half-back line, Paul Brown there, and Mike Casey in behind them. And I'm pretty sure Brown says to Hannan, "What's going to happen here?" And Mike Casey says something along the lines of "Top right corner boy, top right corner kid," or whatever else. And like, as you're like. It happens. And you're like, that's it. And that's kind of the game. Because then obviously uh, Pat Ryan comes in and gets, again, a stunning, stunning goal after that. And that really was the icing on the cake. But it was just, it was the day, it was the, of all the days around then, and obviously COVID knocked out two years that for attendances, um, it's the best by a mile. By any metric, it is the, by far the best. I think partially as well because it was Cork. Like there's definitely a thing in that because it was Cork and because they'd already beaten Kilkenny in the last round and they'd you know they'd they'd beaten I'm I'm pretty sure they'd beat they'd beaten Tip um, and it just this was the last the last of those th- three that they had to take down in one year which had never been done by Limerick anyway you know what I mean and it, it's just it's a, it's a, it's astonishing because it, that was the that was the moment. That was the that, and then Dowling's centrality to all that. It probably it, it certainly in it it'll bias my view of him. Well, rightly he's so. The, You're he, entitled to that. He was the game changer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Like it, it is obviously harder for uh, Limerick because they have to be Cork Tip Ankle Kenny. If you're Cork, you just have to be Tip Ankle Kenny for it to be one of those years. We're like, oh, we just beat the ones because yeah. we always beat the other the other crowd. Exactly. That's that um, that coming into being one of the big teams is like the journey is always harder and the people who get you over that journey at, at the start are actually more important than the ones who sustain it because they're the ones who had to climb the mountain first um, and we, we should we, we underrate that in when we're looking at this historically it's like the team who makes the breakthrough they had it hardest irrespective of what comes afterwards it's always the team who makes the breakthrough that have it the hardest so he's a, a central part of that and so I can it's, it's also worth noting that like I suppose you know there's there's an awful lot of players who play their part but if you take particularly the semi-final and final and the lads who went back so Nicky Quaid came in during the strike as a midfielder he has his seminal moment I'm pretty sure Graham Mulcahy came in around the same time gets his goal in the All-Ireland final you've sort of Dowling and Hannon who are kind of of a that uh, maybe the next year or two after those guys and again so central to it all. and it is kind of those guys and you, you, it's hard to know what you, you know you carry through because you, you, Aaron Glan was brilliant Keane Lynch was amazing you know none of those guys had that same baggage Yeah, but those guys were I just think by virtue of the fact that if you were still in that Limerick team in 2018 and you'd come in when they came in so many had dropped away or been cut away by that stage and those guys are like they were four. Like, there's more. There's not. There's not just them four, but they come to mind immediately. And and they're just four guys who survived all that and came to that point. And that just that's remarkable staying power. Um, we haven't mentioned Tom Ryan. We have. We've just mentioned the Quades there briefly. Like the Quade stuff is sensational. And um, so you, you talk to uh, Brida, Brida, yeah, who is the mother of 
uh, Nikki Quaid. Yeah. And uh, her husband was the goalkeeper who inherited the position from his cousin. I was wondering. No, so so her so Tommy Quaid start was her Limerick goalkeeper from the late seventies through to about ninety two. Okay. Joe Quaid was his cousin, okay. who then is obviously famously in for ninety four, ninety six. So whatever that makes Nicky Quaid to think cousin's child, cousin's son, I'm not sure what that is a second cousin's, whatever it is. That's 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 the link though. But like essentially a Quaid has been and then obviously Tommy Quaid's so Tommy Quaid's Tommy Quaid and Joe Quaid's father, who are brothers, both played for Limerick as well. So, give or take, from the about the fifties onward, there's been a Quaid in or around the Limerick team. It's um, it's in the genes, all right. Um, but the the, the heartbreak of uh, uh, a young father and husband dying the week of a match that he's uh, uh, is he the head coach? Is he the manager of the junior team who were playing at the weekend? I I don't know. Is he the manager involved in the manager part of the team, coaching team? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, and, and his two sons go to the match while he dies in the hospital. It's yeah. like, it's just heartbreaking. And for that to be part of this story at the end as well, um, like, you know, we always are like, oh, sport brings together all these incredible stories. But it really does. Like, it is, yeah. it's an, it's, um, and I'm, I'm deliberately not doing justice to this because I want everybody to go and read it in the book. But, um, like, her strength to go and become a coach and to do all the coaching yeah. classes and to be like, they're not going to miss out on a single thing. You know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And the kind of, she was talking about the general assumption at the time that with, when, when Tommy died, and they'd, they'd, have to, they'd move to, El, wherever they'd move to, but the, the, the general assumption being that um, she'd now take the family kind of back to where she was from. Kilkenny, yeah. That would have been a different story. Yeah, but, and she you was know just... You know Murphy in her life. Yeah, but it, it, like, it was just... It's like, no, of course not. This is this is where they live. This is where they grow. And Yeah, it, it's amazing that, like, because they weren't... I mean, they can only... I, I They can't have been that old. They were only, I suppose, single digits, probably even the eldest. So I think Nicky's in the middle. And... Um, yes, and Tommy dies in 98... From Breeders' perspective, everything that w- was the, the the things Tommy did day to day, in a GA sense, like everything being prepared and that sort of fastidiousness of a goalkeeper, particularly, you, you know, he'd stopped. I think he stopped Intercounty in ninety two, but he's still playing and, and the fastidious and, and the careful preparation and everything like that. The almost that ar- army style military kind of precision with things like this that this was so embedded already in their lives and she wanted that to keep going and she wanted them to have the GA in their lives because I mean it, what what because I, I didn't know anything about Breda's backstory before talking to her you know really I knew bits that no, nothing really I think she'd done a piece with either Dermot Crow or Dennis Walsh just after the just around the 2018 All-Ireland so that's where I was kind of introduced to her as an individual but what's so fascinating to me was how interested she was in the G. She was a hurling fanatic. I mean, I, I granted she was from Kilkenny, but a hurling fanatic from the very get go. And and that's why it was kind of a it, it, like when she kind of speaks quite openly of the fact, like it's absolutely brilliant being married to an intercounty hurler. You get to go all the games. You're kind of in the middle of everything in the thick of everything. All you know, you get all the fun, all the crack attached with it. And I suppose it was just complete anathema to her to think that her sons wouldn't have if that. they were yeah if they were if they were so inclined to it wouldn't have that. That it'll be just, you know, so, I mean, yeah, and as you're saying, she goes, I mean, months after uh, her husband had died and 
goes and takes the the sort of first basic coaching course out in Newcastle West somewhere and, and so she can be involved and so she can go and take part and I, it's remarkable like it, it's like may, may, maybe it's maybe it's not maybe it's just what you do you know if you're a certain way inclined but I, I can't it's just to go and do that do that next step and to kind of write well I'm not just going to yeah. ferry them back and forth I'm going to be involved in this and, and you know make sh- you know, that's just it's, it's remarkable her, her, her strength in it is absolutely remarkable it is and look maybe I'm looking for patterns here but you, you do then see that her son is open to coaching and taking risks and uh, pushing himself to be the absolute best as if he's kind of driven somehow by her drive to keep this going and like we started the show tonight by talking about how easy it is for everybody to go oh the dubs have all the money and Limerick have JP's money and then you forget that actually the level of commitment required to reach the level that they've got to uh, isn't actually just based on money at all. It's based on a, a drive and um, collective intelligence and all sorts of things that this generational group must be seen as a generational group. Like, uh, Jar Hegarty saying that he wouldn't do things Garou does, that he just wouldn't, I, couldn't, I yeah. couldn't do those, you know? Like, um, Quaid's evolution and, like, his relationship with Chrissy O'Connor and, and even the... the uh, interlude with Scale in the book is, is interesting too like we all know how, how mad Scale is for yeah, making yeah. sure that he's the absolute possibly best that he can be and he's like I, I kind of had grudging respect slash I was almost glad for him when he went Zara <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you know uh, like I'd, lo- I'd love to have heard the conversation between the three of them in the players lounge after the all Ireland final it would have been fairly sensational but like this group is an amalgamation of the death by a thousand cuts that the county has suffered and the the rising up of that, like the the swell of hope and I don't think they're going to go away because of that. I think that there's like, you know, they weren't happy with just the one All-Ireland. They weren't happy then getting beaten in an All-Ireland semi-final where they felt a sense of injustice and they've come back stronger and more ferocious. And I do think, I do think history matters to them. I do think that they're playing for that and I think they've, they've got a sense of that. Absolutely. And I think more important still is I, I think it's, uh, it's now... Uh, it's hard to say whether they've elevated themselves into a four. You know, obviously, you know the the role of honour is a lot more. It, it would suggest, you know, t- Tipperary, Cork, and Kilkenny are still a mile away from everyone else in terms of all Ireland's won. I suppose the real measure of the success of everything will be if, in 10, 20 years' time, Limerick are elevated into that elite, and it's a case of that almost the same strangeness in Kilkenny, where there's always generational players coming through. You know, where you go from Kerry to Shefflin to Reed, and it's 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 not a given, but at the same time, it is kind of a given. There'll be someone there, and someone else comes through. And you know, now you have this situation where if you know you're talking about the the one generational, the the, the fact Limerick could go last year and win in All Ireland without King Lynch. without King Lynch, you're like, okay, they're they're not reliant. And now look. If John Kiley goes, if, you know, that management team and Paul Kinnerk and everything else is broken up and we'll see what happens then, you know, they're probably intangibles that are harder to replace. And, but I, I think if they keep going with what they're doing, they'll still keep producing the players. Well, that, that, I guess that's the point that the processes are in place. Now, they have to continue. You still have to get the, the volunteers to come out on the Saturday and Sunday morning in the clubs yeah. and then also, you know, picking the right players through. 
but there is also that balance that we spoke about briefly between players wanting to play with their clubs at 14, 15, 16 and not having the hothouse of, um, and the pressure of being an inter-county player but I guess you know they'll continue to be drawn well, I made the analogy with the Leinster school system it's like that's a perfect thing for rugby in Leinster and it works brilliantly for them so I don't, I don't think they're going away as a county but I do think that we shouldn't in any way underestimate the glut of good quality players that came through at the same time that's not something that happens all the time that's slightly generational like uh, you know what Hegarty did in the Ireland final like I watched the game for the end of year stuff that's a player in the zone in the biggest day from the first second to the last second literally from the first second to the last second he is in a zone that is I, I don't remember an individual performance as amazing as gifted and like okay so nobody's marketing but nobody's marketing because he can't get near him he's just ghosting into space like or he's he's brutalising you with his physical strength or his nimbleness like um, so they've got but they've got several of those they actually have several of those at the same time yeah yeah maybe but like yeah it is and it's a little bit I suppose what we think back now when you think back to you know if you think Kilkenny uh, 09 10 11 you're like just pick a random front six there and just look at the names who are in there yeah (laughs) it's just it's a staggering type of thing or look at the back line look who's there all these kind of guys who are like so so maybe it's that and maybe that happens maybe you don't have the same glut of players through every year but at the same token most of them are still in their mid to late 20s oh yeah they're not done they're not done they're going to wrap up (laughs) plenty more Um, yeah look it's a great book thank you you must be happy with it yeah it's it's nice to have it it's nice to have done it um, in terms of you know I, I can't there's not much I, I can say in terms of judging it go for it it's good it's great you no, can, like, you can, I, I hope on. anyone buy it even um, if you don't read it buy we it. didn't talk about Tom Ryan we don't have time but like Jesus Christ buy the book for the Tom Ryan piece <laughs> yeah I mean yeah Tom Ryan uh, 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 he was one of the people who were there at the launch night actually and it's just it just steals the show it's just uh, he's just larger than life and uh, I, I don't I, like. I don't know if Maverick does him justice, but it's that kind of uh, like he uh, Owen Sheehan went down to interview him. Um, of course, yeah, yeah. For the the pre All Ireland this year, and he just gave Owen an earful of it. You lads never put me on. Why are you not put me on? I'm like really good at this. I'm a really brilliant pundit. Essentially, was what he was saying. And he, in the book, he's like, yeah, people wind down the window and go, you don't have a clue what you're writing about. But most people telling you, great. <laughs> it's great. It's brilliant. It's it is brilliant. Uh, and like, yeah. The politics in that are sensational, like absolutely sensational. The 20 questions that they print out for him. I'm not going to go into them because you definitely have to uh, to get into that in the book. It's called A Biography in Nine Lives, Limerick, Arthur James O'D. A towering work. Buy it for Christmas. <laughs> Buy it for yourself. Uh, get busy. Get busy reading it. Congratulations. Thank you.